0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. We are in a 10-week summer series on the book of Jeremiah, and we have a number of churches throughout the Chicagoland area in our diocese participating in this. So if you're watching this online, I want to give greetings to the mighty Cornerstone Bridgeport Congregation, Cornerstone West Loop, Emmanuel Anglican, and City of Light Anglican. So if you're joining from one of those churches, it's so great to have you here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, open your word to us, that it may pierce our heart, give us new life, and refresh us, and make us into people who are more like you. Amen. So I want you to imagine this morning that you are really thirsty. Maybe you're outside, you're hiking, it's 98 degrees, it's humid, it's hot, you're dripping with sweat, and the only thing you can think of is, I just Need to get a drink and you're walking on this trail and all of a sudden you see a fountain of pure and living water and there it is and it's bursting with life gallons and gallons upon water and the, you see the spray and the sunlight hit the spray and it just diffuses with all of these beautiful colors and gorgeous and, and it's pure, clean water and you see a crowd around that water of people, as the book of Revelation says, a great multitude from every tribe and language and people group. And they're singing and they're dancing and they're laughing and they're worshiping. And you're invited and you, you hear a voice that seems to be coming from the fountain itself saying, come and drink, it's free, come and satisfy your thirst. That's one option. Then you also notice on the trail a paper cup. It's dirty. It's broken. It's ripped. It's torn. Who knows who's drunk out of it? But you're thirsty. And you notice that this cup has a few issues. It's a little leaky. And you think to yourself, how am I going to satisfy my thirst? The cup or the fountain? the fountain or the cup and so you think about it and you decide you know what I'm going with the cup because it's I don't know I just like my little cup it's mine I found it it's my little cup in a saner moment you might ask yourself what is wrong with me what is my problem Well, the Bible actually has a word for our problem, which we all have. It is part of the human condition. It's kind of an ugly word, but bear with me. You are an idolater. Your problem is with idols. Your desires are disordered and diseased through Centuries upon centuries of choices by your forebears and choices that you have made in your lifetime. That is the problem that Jeremiah is getting at in chapter 2, which he will get at often in the book of Jeremiah, this sprawling prophetic book. Notice verse 12 that you heard read in Jeremiah chapter 2. The Lord says to his people be... Actually, he's speaking to the heavens because his people aren't really listening. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Why? What is so shocking? What is so appalling? Well, verse 13, he's going to tell us, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They had a chance to drink from that fountain, but they didn't. And they hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They chose the leaky cup instead. What is idolatry? Basically, in its simplest terms, it is a God swap. It is a God trade. We trade the true and living God who can satisfy and quench our thirst For a lesser God that is no God at all, that is really a nothing, we trade it, and it's a colossally bad trade. Goes down in history as the worst trade in the history of the human race. Two evils, God says through the prophet Jeremiah. First, they they forsook me. They left me. That's part of a longer story. Let me back up at the beginning of this passage, chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord says to his people, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. God says we were like newlyweds. We were crazy in love. And, And it was hard and you went through some hard times, but you got through it, or more specifically, I brought you through it, I led you, I was your husband, I stood by your side, I took care of you, I brought you through those hard times. It was romantic. It was the worst of times, but it was the best of times because I was there for you. And what happened? The love affair unraveled, the romance died. Verse five, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? They went after worthlessness and became worthless. This was not a no-fault relationship breakdown. It was all on the people of God. They killed the romance. They had an affair. They're still having an affair. And they didn't just slip into it, they went after it. They wanted it. They pursued it. You went after worthlessness. You went after just an empty things, empty idols. The honeymoon is over. And notice verse 7. <clears throat> Here's the results of this. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things, but when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. What's he talking about? He's talking about privileges. I I gave you privileges. I gave you blessings. There's a lot of talk these days about privileges and it's a good conversation. It's a really healthy conversation. But just don't forget, it's actually a very ancient concept. And you can thank our Jewish friends for this. Kudos to the Jews for discovering the idea that privileges, actually, God told them this, privileges are to be used to worship God and to serve those who have less privileges. The Jews learned that lesson. But they weren't doing that at this point. So forsake God. This is how idolatry works. First, we forsake God. That's the first evil. The second evil is you have found a God replacement. You have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water, the Lord says. What is your broken cistern? Your leaky cup? I want you to think about that. As I continue with this ser- sermon, as, as we continue in this service, think about you. Think about you personally. What is your broken cistern? What's an idol? An idol is a bad thing, or it can be a very good thing. It can be a created thing that we have twisted and we have contorted and tried to make into an ultimate thing. A fountain thing. That's my fountain. That's where I'm going to quench this deepest thirst in my heart. Is through, I'm going to make my own fountain. The musician Sting wrote a song called Sacred Love in which he sings, I think to his wife, You're my religion, you're my church. You're the holy grail at the end of my search. Now, again, if he was singing that to his wife, which I understand was what he was doing, that's a good thing, your spouse. It's good to love your spouse. But the holy grail at the end of my search, that's a cistern that cannot bear the weight of that much pressure. Do you want to be the Holy Grail at the end of somebody's search? I mean, it might be flattering for a minute, but that's gonna crush you and your relationship. How do you find your idols? Well, here's a little diagnostic test. It's really good, it's really effective. And it comes from the brilliant theologian philosopher, Rocky Balboa, in his first Rocky film, in which he explains to his wife why he has to fight, why this is so important to him. So he tells Adrian, his wife, he says, because if I don't get in that boxing ring and go the distance, it will prove that I'm just another bum from the neighborhood. That's the diagnostic. If I don't, if I just have, if I get... If I have attained, if I achieve, if I don't lose blank, it proves that I'm not a bum. I'm special. I matter. I'm significant. If I just have that job, I just get that promotion, I just make a little more money, I just prove that I'm beautiful or talented or intelligent. If I just post enough on social media so people know how really wonderful I am and my family is. If I just can look at those images that give me so much life on my computer. Here's the problem with idols. All of them have the same two problems. And Jeremiah, this passage diagnoses it. First, they will disappoint you. Second, they will deform you. They disappoint you. Look at verse 8. They went after things that do not profit. You think they're profitable. They're not. You're actually losing when you're going after an idol. Think of your spiritual life, like a a bank account, you go after a idol, you're making withdrawals and the money is just draining out. For example, if you live vicariously through your children, if their success and them liking you is your idol, they will disappoint you. More importantly, you will disappoint them because you will smother them with your needy helicopter parenting. If you go after financial security, financial profitability, you're losing the greater joy of generosity. If you go after success and achievement, When is it ever going to be enough? My 30s and 40s was basically two decades when I had an idol of achievement. At the end of it, I was burnt out, I was lonely, and I was spiritually empty. It was not profitable. It will all idols disappoint you. They are all leaky cups. They will also deform you. Verse 5, they went after worthlessness and they became worthless. It's not a sign of their value and dignity. It's a sign of the emptiness, the vanity. It's just vain. You went after vanity and you became vain. Idols deform us. And they deform relationships around us. So if you go after lust, if you pursue it, if that is your idol, you will start to think and see the world through a lens of objectifying people. If your idol is competence, everything I do is competent, everything I do is efficient. It will deform your heart so that you can not truly love the poor, the slow, the disabled, persons with disabilities. If you value comfort and safety, if you just want to get to the end of your life and just coast and be comfortable and retire well and up and high, When suffering comes, and it will, it will crush you. You won't be able to handle it. If your idol is how good you are, that you're a moral, upstanding, respectable person, if that's your idol, again, a good thing, twisted into the ultimate thing, when your sin is exposed, you will become defensive, ashamed, and even horrified by your sin see the cost of idols? They disappoint us. They deform us. You ask, well, where is God in the midst of all of this going after our idols? Look at verse 9. This beautiful little verse. It doesn't sound beautiful, but it really is. The Lord says, therefore, I still contend with you. And with your children's children, I will contend." The word contend is a a word for a lawyer. It's a lawyer going after, taking his people to court. So if you're a lawyer, here's your Bible verse. You're in the Bible, lawyers, and it's good. It presents you in a good light. God is like a lawyer. Actually, as someone says in this verse, God has the logic of a lawyer. And the longing of a lover in this verse. I love that. God is saying, I'm gonna fight for you. I'm gonna fight to get you back. I'm not just gonna pretend that the affair didn't happen. I'm gonna press into it and I'm gonna woo you back. I'm gonna win you back. I'm gonna love you back. I'm gonna fight for this relationship. I love that about God. I'm gonna fight to get the romance back into this relationship. Do you recognize that voice? If you're a follower of Jesus, you should. Because it's not only the Lord speaking to the people of Israel, which it is, it is also the Lord Jesus speaking to us, saying, I am the one who came to seek and save sinners. I am the one who went into the far country of sin and brokenness to win back my lost sons and daughters. I am the one who bore your sins on the cross and paid the penalty for every idol, every pathetic idol we've ever let live and pursued. I will contend for you. I'm already seeking you, I have sought you, through your dark nights, through when your heart was breaking, when your sin was exposed. I have sought you when you had good gifts and you thought they just happened magically or accidentally. They were from me. I was there when your heart was struck with beauty and kindness that you know that you did not deserve. I was pursuing you. Here the Lord Jesus gives us an invitation. Forsake your idols. Here's a very simple exercise. It's something, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will do this. It's just part of your life. You identify, and you name, and you confess, and you renounce your idols. You tell the Lord, you said, this is my leaky cup. It has a name and a shape for me. Lord, here it is. I'm not going to try to get living water from this. It's just, it's just, this cup doesn't work that way. It might even be a good thing, but it can't be my ultimate thing. We renounce it. We say, Lord, I renounce it. Sometime this week, get before the Lord, get quiet, let him search your heart. And say a prayer that starts with just these words. Lord Jesus, I renounce your idol. Fill in the blank. Tell him that. But let me tell you something else. This always begins with what the church has called the beatific vision. A vision of seeing the living God. It doesn't just start with our idols. It starts with the fountain and the invitation where the living Christ says, come and drink. You may remember in the Gospels, the Gospel of John, where Jesus met an unnamed woman by a well in a dry and dusty land. She was a Samaritan, which meant she was part of a racially despised, marginalized group of people. And he met her, and he talked with her, and he had a conversation with her, and he treated her with dignity. And then he told her, if you drink the water I will give you, you will never be thirsty again. She believed him and a new life started for him. I read recently a memoir of a man named Thomas Terrance. Thomas Terrance used to be the president of the C.S. Lewis Institute. He's a Christian scholar, a leader, a mentor to hundreds. But his life started in a very bad place. He grew up in the 60s in Mobile, Alabama. That was not the bad place. And he grew up in a normal family. That was not the bad place. But he moved into a very bad place when he got radicalized by an ideology of white supremacy. He grew to, he says, I hated Jews. I hated blacks. I hated liberals. It got so advanced that he was part of a group that tried to take out an African-American leader. Kill him. Here's what he says. Late one sweltering summer night as my accomplice and I attempted to plant a bomb at the home of a businessman. This was actually a Jewish businessman in Mississippi. We were ambushed in a police stakeout. My partner, a young female school teacher, was k- killed at the scene. Four blasts of a shotgun fire at close range left me critically wounded. Doctors told me it would be a miracle if I lived another 45 minutes. Yet God spared my life. To the astonishment of the doctors and the dismay of the police, if anyone deserved to die, it was certainly me. He went to prison for a long time. He says, you'd think I would repent because I was raised in a church home. I didn't repent. My heart just got more hardened. I hated Jews and blacks even more. But he started to read started with Greek philosophy, then he moved on to political theory. Then he thought, maybe I'll read the Bible since I've never really read it. And it was there that he met Jesus. It was there that he came to the fountain. He said, some idols and sins, sins in my life faded quickly, some took time and struggle. Here's the really amazing, comical, thing, God in his sense of humor. Thomas Terence went on to become a pastor of a multi-ethnic church and write on racial reconciliation. What a beautiful story. But you know what? In a way, that's the story. When we're, when we're before the Lord Jesus in heaven, what do you think we're going to be doing the whole time? Part of what we're going to be doing is sitting around telling stories of redemption. What did God pull you out of? What were the idols that he transformed in you? What were the sins he delivered you out of? How did he forgive you? How did he change you? We talk here about a transforming relationship with Jesus and his church. That's what we're all about. We bring to him our idols, our hearts that, as John Calvin said, are idol manufacturing centers. We bring them to Jesus and we ask him to transform us. Come to the fountain. Give up your leaky cups. Come to the fountain where there is healing, where there is refreshment, where there is living water. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.